This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to our panel. We want to say thank you to everybody who's joining us in person as well as online and anybody who is uh, watching this replay. Um, my name is Jerry Wan. I am the host and uh, founder of uh, Dear Asian Americans, which is a part of Just Like Media's slate of Asian American podcasts. Uh, first of all, just an honor to be here uh, at Podcast Movement to share our stories um, and to share all of our stories uh, in terms of what it means to be an Asian American storyteller, why we believe it's important to share our stories and to uh, um, you know, share along the journey of our progress and uh, what we hope to achieve. Uh, in, in the future. So we'll go down the line and we'll start with Patrick. Uh, we are, if you're watching us or if you're here, we're seated in the way of the, uh, our, our deck. And so we'll start with Patrick. Tell us about you and your show. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, my name is Patrick Armstrong. I am a Korean American adoptee. I was born in 1990 in Seoul, Korea and adopted to a, a white family in rural Indiana. And that is the basis of the show that I am a co-host of, The John Chi Show. I host it with two other Korean adoptees and what we do is talk about and celebrate our shared heritage and identities as Korean-American adoptees, and we also hope to bring nuance and balance to the narrative surrounding adoption. My name is Randy Kim, and I am a queer Southeast Asian-American based in the Chicagoland area. So I am the host and creator of the Bun Me Chronicles podcast. It's an Asian-American-centered show that focuses on diaspora assimilation and community empowerment. And I just currently finished my seventh season, and I've been doing this for nearly three years now. Hi, everyone. I'm Simi Shaw. I am the host of South Asian Trailblazers. And on my podcast, I dive deep into the journeys of trailblazing South Asians. So South Asian leaders across industries, including ClassPass founder Bio Kadakia, actor Cal Penn, uh, you name it. And uh, primarily started the podcast as a way to give young South Asians a line of sight to leaders who look like them. And we just kicked off our fifth season. Hi, everyone. My name is Misasha Suzuki Graham. Um, I'm the biracial daughter of a Japanese immigrant father and a white mother. I'm also the mother of two very multiracial boys who are black, Japanese, and white. Um, growing up biracial, you get um, sort of access into a lot of conversations that you may otherwise not have access to, especially in white communities. Um, and being able to sort of infiltrate those conversations along with my biracial co-host, it's taught us what is being said in those circles, what is not being said in those circles, and the third part, which is perhaps the most important part, what is being said in those circles when they believe that no people of color are present. So that um, pushed us to create Dear White Women, which is a podcast designed to help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process, and we lean into practical action tips um, that are based on listening to narratives that are outside of the dominant narratives in our country and learning the history that perhaps we were not taught or are still not being taught in schools today. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we have a sixth member of the crew. My son Jacob is here with us. Um, and uh, we came from LA, and I wanted to bring him uh, just so he could experience what dad does for a living. Uh, but also, I really didn't grow up, and I think uh, most of us would agree, we wish we had more opportunities to see people who look like us, speaking on stages, having the authority and the credibility to share our stories. And so 
Um, he's starting kindergarten next week, and so I just wanted to bring him along. Uh, he's been a super big trooper with us, and he's our uh, official photographer for the day. And so um, for, for the parents in the audience, if you're listening, um, you know, this has been a really fun and meaningful experience for me, and I encourage you in whatever you do professionally or as a uh, hobby to include your children because they need uh, to see us in these spaces as well. Um, we'll go back in reverse order and start with Misasha. What was that spark? Because uh, I think many of us have uttered the phrase, I'm going to start a podcast. I want to start a podcast. And perhaps many of you are thinking that today. Um, we talk in a lot of future statements about us wanting to tell your story. But for all of us, we have uh, decided to take that step, but have also been doing it consistently for a better part of two years for most of us. And so take us through that moment when you finally decided to, you know, whether you was buying the domain name, the microphone, or calling your friend and saying, we need to do this. Take us through that moment of the spark. Yeah, so we've been, Dear White Women has been around for three and a half years. And the moment that really crystallized the need for the podcast for us was in those conversations that I had talked about, us, Sarah, who's my co-founder, and me being in those white spaces, um, you know, as a parent of multiracial kids, the fears that I have for my sons, including that they'll walk out of our doors one day and not come home simply because of the color of their skin, which is a devastating fear as a parent because that's something you can't control, right? When your kids leave your house, they're in everyone else's hands, not yours. Um, but those conversations were not happening in the circles that we were in. And so we thought, somewhat naively perhaps, like, what do we like to do? We like to write and we like to talk. So let's buy some mics and start a podcast and five people will listen to us and they'll all be related to us, but that'll be cool. Um, and it's grown to so much bigger than that for which I am so grateful. Um, but really it was just, we see these conversations not happening and we want something better for our children. And in fact, we do this for our children and sometimes specifically for my children because we want them to survive, right? It's a, very, it's a very basic human desire in the end that we hope we can do it together. Um, I think like Misasha and the rest of us, my story is very similarly rooted in identity. Um, I grew up in a very robust South Asian community in the South, which people usually find surprising, um, but grew up very connected to that community throughout my life. And then suddenly I graduated college and felt like I had completely lost access to engaging with my culture in a meaningful way. And at the same time, uh, being in this sort of new professional chapter of my life, I had become hyper-aware of not just how many Asian Americans, but how many South Asians were leading and achieving across industries and became increasingly curious about how they got where they were, especially for those of them who were pursuing these sort of non-traditional paths. And so for that reason, I wanted to start Trailblazers as a way of forging that connection again, learning how these people got to where they did, and then turning around and getting to share those stories with other young South Asians who are navigating and charting their own paths. So for myself, it really came from a place of rawness uh, and vulnerability for me. Uh, many years ago, I actually wanted to go into journalism, and my parents were against the idea because my dad once told me that they don't have hire people like us. And so that was a burden that I had to carry. And when I was trying to prove my parents wrong, I got into the student newspaper and um, 
and I actually started applying for jobs. And some of the big companies, one of them asked me, "Well, how does it feel? How would you feel handling being? How would you handle being the only Asian person in the room?" And it horrified me, and it, I began to struggle. And I actually left and deserted my dreams of being a journalist. So. Fast forward, I got into Asian American immigrants' rights, I got into LGBTQ, Asian uh, community spaces, and I thought about how much I've seen myself transform, not wanting to have to fit into the, uh, into the white spaces, but I wanted to find ways to, um, to create spaces for myself, and one of the things that I, when I started the Bunny Chronicles podcast was I wanted to do a love letter to my 10-year-old self, my 15-year-old self, my 20-year-old self, and also what I felt like I deserved to hear at a young age, you know. I never got to know who Grace Lee Boggs was. I did not get to know who uh, Yuri Kuchiyama was. So I felt that that was so important to learn about her history. and. And in a way, that's actually our own love letter to ourselves when we start learning our history and when we start uncovering what that means. And so when I started doing the podcast, I was reflecting deeply about some of the spaces that I've been in, you know, working with immigrant uh, movements, working with LGBTQ Asian movements, and what that all means, right? So I wanted to give space to that. I wanted to show whether it's to my family, to my community members, that we are making history, that we are always um, finding ways to make our futures for ourselves, but also for our younger generations that deserve to hear that, and, and also to um, make more love letters to them as well. Um, for me, just as we've all kind of talked about, definitely wrapped up an identity. So growing up as a Korean adoptee and a predominantly white community as well as uh, extremely small and rural town in Indiana. I didn't really have any racial mirrors um, that reflected my experience. And in my own home life, I didn't have what I felt like would, would have been access to that. Um, so I distinctly remember in seventh grade being like, I came home one day and just praying to God, I was like, why did you make me look like this? I hated being Asian. I hated to identify myself as that because I didn't see anybody who looked like me. So fast forwarding, or at that point, I pretty much made a conscious decision to reject that part of my identity. And so I lived my life that way until I was about 30 years old. Um, and at 30, I had just recently moved back from Chicago to Indianapolis with my wife, and we were talking, we were actually watching a movie called Always Be My Maybe, uh, starring Randall Park and Ali Wong. And there's a scene in there um, where they're cooking, and I don't know what was about that scene, but it just really got to me. And I turned to my wife, and this is like at the height uh, of the pandemic. We're seeing a rise in violence against the Asian American community in this country. And I turned to my wife and I told her, <clears throat> you know, we're talking about having kids. How am I going to be able to raise our kids to navigate the world as Asian when I don't know how to do that? And so the very next day, I like to listen to podcasts, uh, which is one of the reasons I do a podcast, I guess. And I hopped on my player. I typed in Asian American. And the very first show that came up was a new show called Dear Asian Americans. And so I pressed play in the first episode. And I was so enthralled by the conversation that right as the, the episode finished, I sent an email to the guest. 
and he very kindly responded the next day. Uh, he sent me a study called Too Korean to be White, Too White to be Korean, about 12 Korean adoptees who grew up in the Midwest. And he also said, I th really think you should connect with Jerry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can make that happen. And so I read that study, and it made me cry. <laughs> Reading a scholastic paper, I never thought that that would ever bring me to tears, but it, it, it really did that. And Jerry kindly reached out to me. Um, ended up being a guest on his show. And it just so happened that he had two other Korean adoptees who were guests in the previous weeks. And right before I was getting ready to do my interview with him, he said, you know, I really think you all should do a podcast together. And I was like, maybe. Um, hadn't met these two. I'd only known their stories from the episodes that I listened to. But I agreed to get on a Zoom call. And after our first Zoom call, I thought there was absolutely no way that we were going to do a podcast together. And in two weeks, uh, well, we continue to meet, and in two weeks, we will be uh, releasing our 100th episode uh, and celebrating our two-year anniversary. So that's how I got started. You know, I, I think for, for me, um, I had the privilege of growing up in very Asian uh, areas. I grew up in Fullerton, if you're familiar with the Southern California landscape. Uh, it's literally the most Korean city in America. Then moved to New York City and then came back to LA. And so, you know, I didn't really have um, a dearth or a lack of Asian American representation, but I think what I was lacking and didn't know was proper Asian American representation. You know, because our parents had well intention, good intentions and a good understanding of the world they came from, not the world that they were going to raise their children in, we were all taught just to keep our heads down and go do something professionally conservative, uh, try to get extra letters after your name, which are all good things. But, you know, it, it came to a point for me um, after uh, becoming a father of two that I personally had the opportunity and therefore the responsibility uh, to share Asian American stories that I wish I had growing up. And so I started the Asian Americans on March 2nd of 2020, uh, which is Charlotte uh, Jacob's younger sister's first birthday, uh, really as a gift to them. Uh, but it ended up being a gift for myself and for all of us and even you know people who are probably older um, because it's uh, stories that we didn't even know we needed. Um, and I think the Asian American story, um, obviously we, we labeled this uh, talk more than a monolith, um, we are impossible to talk about in one, com in one panel, in one book, in one anything. And yet, because of the complexities of the world and um, just the limitations of time and uh, bandwidth, we don't really get to sit down and to share about how rich the community is, right? And I, you know, when we put this panel together, I intentionally picked four of my good friends in the podcasting world that I thought would at least visibly represent a different swath of Asian America than most panels that talk about the same issues would. And yet, we're still not representing all of you, right, and all of us. And so this idea that we're embarking on this impossible journey of trying to uncover Asian American stories while knowing that we can't be exhaustive, but trying to be representative enough so that people can feel like we can resonate with each other. Um, and you know, that I think a lot of the themes um, for, for good and bad for all of us in sort of our spark journeys of wanting to share the story comes from a place of pain, you know, comes from a place of not feeling represented and therefore uh, I don't think any of us needed any permission from a traditional media company or anybody to say hit record. Um, and that's the beauty of podcasting as we all know. Um, but I do want to shift the tone a little bit into uh, something definitely not born in pain, but um, tell us about the coolest thing 
the thing that's brought you the most joy, uh, the most amount of this was the right decision, or something that made you feel validated in starting this journey? Because as we know, and many of you know, podcast is a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of thankless, mindless, grinding work, um, trying to cut the ums and the <laughs> these things out of our shows. And um, a lot of it is thankless, but I think, you know, um, and, and I'll share at the end, but um, Patrick, start us with what has been the coolest, most joyous thing that has happened since you started the Chanchi show? Um, that's really tough to pick just one thing, uh, but if I had to pick one, it'd probably be our one-year anniversary. So as I mentioned before, I uh, hadn't met either of my co-hosts when we first started this journey. And obviously, as we've done this over two years, we became really good friends, uh, but we had never met in person ever. And so as we were approaching our one-year anniversary, um, Jerry suggested, you know, hey, what if we were able to get together in person in LA and do a live recording? Uh, and we invite, you know, listeners of the show to come out. And so somehow we put that together and in, I think it was Labor Day weekend, I believe, um, we all flew out to LA and met for the very first time. And honestly, it feels like when you meet people in that way, especially in this virtual reality we've been living in, um, sometimes it can be awkward. Like, it can be really hard to figure out how to navigate those, those friendships, but it really felt like, you know, we had known each other forever. And, uh, once we had met and then we went and did the live show, we ended up having like 30 or so people who flew out all across the country to come and join us for the celebration. And it showed me that not only was what we were doing as a show important um, for us, but it was important for the community to know that their stories mattered and it was something that didn't require you to necessarily be a Korean adoptee, even though our show is specifically about Korean adoptees. Um, it matters that who you are as a person, that story, that voice is just as important as anybody else's. So just because we were the people on the stage didn't set us at any other different level than the people who joined us. And I think that was right there one of the most important moments in our journey, in my journey, because it really validated and, and legitimized, as we talked about before, um, everything that we've done with the show, all the hours that we put in, all the ums that we're trying to cut out, uh, which I, we don't cut out anymore, so. I still do the ums a lot, so. I don't think that's gonna change anytime soon, unfortunately, but what I think has been such a cool experience for me is that I realize how my relationships with my guests and audience are not just a transaction, it's very transformational to me. Um, I get so blown away by some of the comments that I get from my audiences as, that's predominantly Asian American and they would talk to me and you know share their stories and I give space to listen to them and it's such an honor to hear more of these stories and to feel that they uh, can feel safeness in sharing their stories where in the past you know people have come up to me and said I never thought I had a story. No one wants to hear my story. And I hear this a lot in the live storytelling scene. And I thought of how important that is of sharing our stories. And I think, you know, when my show, it, it's about giving permission to speak our truths. And, uh, and I'm just incredibly 
very, very thankful for that opportunity. And also for my guests, I didn't realize how how deepened my relationships have become with a lot of my uh, guests over the past few years. And just to, you know, to know that their stories were being honored is such a priority for me as a host, as a producer, and to see them feel validated, to see them feel lifted, you know, brings me a lot of joy. So yeah, it's, it's such a wonderful ride, despite how many times I, uh, moan and groan about editing, promoting. It's like, oh, I just want to go on hiatus again. But I get reminded, like every time I'm on hiatus, I start to miss it very quickly because I would start having people ask me about previous episodes that they've caught up on. It's like, yeah, I feel like I need to go back to this again. So yeah, it's, it's the audience that keeps me going. Yeah, I, I know exactly that feeling you're talking about. I'm like, oh, a break. And then someone's like, so when's your next season coming out? And I'm like, oh, no. Um, I think for me, very similarly, at a fundamental level, it's the response. I mean, I've had South Asian parents come to me and be like, oh, my God, because of your podcast, like, I know my kid can get, go into sports and, like, still survive. And I'm like, thank you. Um, but no, and like, you know, young women, you know, we, had, we did a podcast with the former chief information security officer of Twitter and be like, I so rarely get to see women in cybersecurity, let alone a South Asian woman at a top company. And hearing that sort of response and understanding that the stories you're telling matter and that these people wouldn't have heard them otherwise is just such a legitimizing, validating, and inspiring feeling. Um, if I had to pick like a specific moment, it's very similar to what Patrick was talking about. Um, we brought our community to life uh, through a live podcast as well in New York City um, with one of the stars of Net the Netflix hit show, Indian Matchmaking. Um, and getting to see our audience come in person and, t you, know, t you know, put a face to these people that are in your Instagram DMs or who are just writing reviews on the podcast was just so exciting. You know, people really appreciate that vulnerability. And at the end of the day, I mean, they're connecting with you, right? They're coming back and they're hearing your voice every time. Um, and that was a really powerful experience and just made me feel like, you know, what we're doing here is important and we got to keep going. Um, I think mine is, is very similar. I, I think the response, um, especially when we have a title like Dear White Women, um, which everyone has feelings about, um, good or bad. Um, you, you know, in March of 2021, right, when there was the Atlanta spa murders, and um, my co-host and I were busy we have four kids between us, all of whom were sort of in the Zoom school phase still of COVID, and we were devastated by what happened. And we didn't know how to process it except to record these episodes where it, we were very vulnerable, very raw. Then we did a whole series of like, this is all the Asian American history that you probably didn't know. This is why, you know, exoticizing Asian women is such a problem. Um, and we used our voices in ways that I don't think we had used on the podcast. And we're going on episode 182 now. Like, it's, it's been a long journey. And, and it was still sometimes a struggle to find our voice, especially as biracial Asian women. And the response that we got from that um, 
was so powerful because it was a lot of women, some women I knew, some women I didn't know, um, Asian women who said, thank you for using your voices because now I know I can use mine um, to speak up when something has happened, to tell my story is sort of similar to what we've all been saying. Um, and now I know I have that power. And especially growing up like I did, where I was largely told, you don't need to use your voice. You want to keep your head down. You want to be very successful um, you know, in a very individual way. That, to me, showed that we were doing something. There was real change. And a smaller secondary point is that I have two boys who are eight and almost 10. And the fact that they know that mommy has a podcast and they go and tell all their teachers at school that mommy has a podcast called Dear White Women. Um, and then I roll into you know, um, school parent-teacher conferences and they're like, oh, you're the one with the podcast. Um, it means we always have something to talk about, right? But um, I, it, it makes me feel so proud that they know that this work is important and that they know from a very early age that I'm going to tell them that they should be using their voices too and that everything I do, I'm fighting for them. Thank you. Um, you know, for me, it's, it, it happened in, in two sort of uh, tranches. I think the getting the emails and the DMs and just people um, even just in public coming up to you and saying like, hey, thank you for starting your show. It's made a very important impact on, on, on my life. I don't think that stuff ever gets old. Um, but we were uh, blessed enough to do a partnership with McDonald's last May. Um, and I think for immigrant kids, McDonald's is America. And, and for us to be invited to partake in sharing Asian American stories on our platform uh, was super duper cool. Um, and then this year, uh, specifically for the work that I do with the Asian Americans, I was invited to the White House for the official uh, celebration in May uh, with Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander uh, communities. And uh, perhaps, because, uh, you know, for that work that I've done, but uh, more importantly than that, uh, specifically related to the work that I had chosen to do, which is walking away from corporate life um, as a father of two, which isn't the most popular choice, particularly within Asian families, uh, that's the first time my dad said he was proud of me for doing the work that I'd done. And so I think that was uh, important from a validation perspective, but also important for me uh, to have the... Um, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the acceptance, I hate using that word, not acceptance, uh, the support of, of my father uh, in, in that regard. Um, but I gotta, I wanna shout out, um, uh, a couple, plug a couple of things as, as we're winding down, we got about 15 minutes left. Um, shout out to Randy and showing up in his uh, authentic self. Uh, he showed us a picture on the, on the texting and I, and I looked down at what I was wearing and I said, maybe I can go get a suit too. Um, so shout out to Randy. Um, no, I, 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 you know, the reason, I, there's a, many reasons I, I chose the folks that uh, we did today. Um, Miss Sasha also has a book out called Dear White Woman by the same name as the podcast. And so that is an additional way that you can support her and her work. Um, let's do a couple uh, quick round answers. And then if folks in the audience have uh, questions, we welcome them. And then if we can't get to them all, uh, we'll all hang out right outside here and chat after. Um, and so for somebody maybe in the audience or watching or just putting it into the universe, um, best piece of one answer advice on getting started in their own storytelling journey, whether it be through the podcast medium or not. And we'll start with you, Mishasha. I was kind of hoping you would start with Patrick again. Um, 
I think, you know, it's tricky to find your voice um, in, in a lot of ways. And I think we worry about it being perfect, right? We don't want to make a mistake. We want to have that persona that we immediately put out, um, be that persona. And I would just say, give yourself some grace, right? It, it took us really a year, I think, to find the voice that that is now our, our podcast voice. But I, I think what we've always leaned into is authenticity and your audience knows that um, and can hear it. So that's what I would say. Um, I think when creating any type of content, especially in today's world, there's so many things you can be doing. You can be on all the social media platforms, you can be disseminating and distributing your content through newsletters and YouTube and whatever it is. Try everything and then decide and focus on the things that are actually working for you and your audience. I think it's really easy to get caught up in how much is going on. Um, but I also think that makes it more sustainable and enjoyable for you. I mean, for me, I think, you know, for example, doing these live events, bringing our community to life has been really energizing. And that's not to say it's not a lot of work, but it's something that I've realized works for us and that our audience enjoys and that our team enjoys. And so that's something that we've doubled down on, but that makes it so that we have less room to focus on other things. But I just think it's important to figure out what are the things you're good at? What are the things you enjoy? What is it that's gonna keep you going and continue to create this content? Uh, know your whys. Um, this is something that my professor uh, told me. And one of the things is that when you are doing a podcast, what is your why? What is your um, passion for this work? Why do you feel compelled to explore this topic, these subjects? And so why should the audience, your audience that you're trying to work on, uh, work towards building, or a community, I should say, why should they invest that one hour um, being able to listen to you? Because I don't want to make it sound competitive or like, you know, you have to get the most audience, that really shouldn't be the purpose. The purpose is what is your why in your, in your work? Uh, what is your why in, in the passion that you're trying to explore or the curiosity that you have? And, and, but also telling your audience your why's is very important because they want to see the passion that's coming out of you in doing this work, that you do have this care. And I think I see too many podcasters come in and out and just give up. And a lot of the reason is, is because they haven't figured out their mission. They haven't figured out the why in their mission. And, and once you figure that out, then you would feel um, the community connection start to build as a result. Um, so these are all great pieces of advice, and I think mine would actually be the last step in everything that we've said, being authentic, diversifying how you're doing it, trying out all the different ways, uh, and knowing your whys. I think at the end of the day, you just have to start it. You just to sit down and start. And I think for a lot of people getting ready to start a podcast or thinking about taking on anything, uh, you know, we can talk ourselves out of doing it very, very easily. Uh, there are a lot of no, this is the reason why I shouldn't do this. Um, and one of those things can be like, oh, this is going to be very public facing, and I'm going to release this to the world. And I think something that we forget is that you don't necessarily have to do that. You don't have to release it right away, but you can start to build this content, build the things that you want to do. And by doing that, you can find your authentic voice. You can find what works for you. You know, you can find out what it is that's going to 
or the reason why. You can find your foundation, your footing. So that way when you are ready to come out, like you'll probably have a backlog of content, which is great, as I'm sure we all are familiar with, but um, you're also, you've allowed yourself to develop, and it doesn't mean that because you haven't put anything out yet, you haven't done anything. That means you've started your journey, and when you're ready to go public, you're ready to go public. My advice is a little bit more uh, practical. Um, start an email list, and you have to start an email list because uh, contrary to popular belief that we were wrongly told by the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it, they may not come. <laughs> and I think as podcasters, we have this false sense of uh, belief that our content's so good, why wouldn't they download it? And then you look at the numbers and go, my friends don't even listen. <laughs> and so know who your audience is, hang out where they are, and ask for email addresses. Do not, and, and I want folks to practice in this mindset shift. I think because we um, see email as annoying, uh, we forget that some people actually might want, might need, and will benefit so much from hearing our stories. And so, you know, a slight mindset shift from, man, I don't want to send that person another email. They can subscribe, unsubscribe if they want to, but give them the opportunity to hear your stories. Um, and obviously, when we have people who listen and support us, it makes continuing on this journey a, a little bit easier. Um, my ask, before we go to questions, um, if folks have it, otherwise um, I can talk for 10 more minutes. Um, I would love for everybody sitting in this room physically and for those listening to apply to speak at next year's podcast movement. Um, one, I want more than one uh, Asian American topic panel. Um, and not just at podcast movement, at your industry conferences, at any conference, um, we just got done uh, promoting our South by Southwest panels. Um, we are the global majority, and yet when we go to any sort of public conference, our voices, the diverse voices of our non-monolithic community are not well represented. And a lot of that comes from the blocks that we have of confusing, uh, talking about ourselves objectively and the things that we've accomplished with bragging, because that's what we were told as kids to say, don't brag about yourself. Um, but I want to encourage all of us, um, if you want to engage us and chat with us about practical things to help you know, organize and to bring people together. Um, and I also strongly believe, and many of you probably work in the podcast industry and don't have podcasts yourselves, I think there's such a rich opportunity for there to be a community being built of people who can support each other, who can mentor each other, who can refer each other for jobs and as we grow. Because I'll be honest, um, look, walk around the halls. There's not a whole lot of people who look like us, but we are the world's biggest audience. And so not only does it feel good, it actually makes a whole lot of business sense. And I'm frankly a little bit sick and tired of hearing about diverse audiences and yet we're excluded, right? And so this is not a comment about fighting for you know, scarcity-minded slices of pie. This is an encouragement to all of us that even if you think that you play in such a narrow piece of the Asian American community, uh, that there is a wild, you know, a wildly amazing and uh, infinite audience out there, um, and that's actually going to, um, you know, make a huge impact. And so, uh, we got uh, eight minutes left. If folks in the audience have questions, uh, we'd love to entertain those questions. Um, again, if we run out of time, we're probably going to hang out right outside. Uh, the woman straight down the middle, she has a question for us. 
And tell us your name, too, before you ask your question. Thanks. Good afternoon. My name is Shayla. Um, I think my question is for everyone, but specifically for you, Simi, because I'm also from the South Asian community. When you start something like podcast, it's, yes, it's a storytelling medium, but one of, some of the greatest pushback comes from, like, for me, the South Asian community, because they don't get it. They don't understand what's the value in this. What's a podcast? Why are you doing this? My mom still doesn't understand, why are you doing this? What's the point? So how do you push past that to really keep doing what you're doing? Because I'm not as big as all of you. I'm like teeny Yet. tiny micro. I'm hoping. Yet. I'm really hoping. But, but that's the thing about it. But they'll be asking st stuff like, how many listeners? Like, who do you reach? What's the point? So how do you push through that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's twofold. I think, one, in today's culture, there's a lot of pressure to make money and monetize your side hustles or creative passion projects that you work on, and sometimes that takes the fun out of it. That's a fact. And so I think going in, you don't have to decide that right away, but I think there comes a turning point where you have to decide, am I gonna continue on this path? How much, how much time, effort, resources am I gonna put in? And do I want this to be something that I eventually scale, or is it something that I just wanna continue doing on the side? I think those are the important questions to ask. I kind of continue to walk that middle ground, to be frank. I work a full-time job and do this as a passion project on the side, but have started to explore ways to monetize, often with the help of people like Jerry. Um, and I get a lot of questions, like you're saying, of like, what's the value of this? Like, who listens to this? Like, well, why would anyone pay? And I think you just got to test your market, right? I mean, no business was built overnight. And um, you know, a small way that I've started doing that is working with small South Asian brands and seeing if they're interested in advertising. So we piloted the, that first season. There was a great response. I really enjoyed it because it's like you're uplifting these small businesses who have no other place to go to find their particular audience that they're trying to target. So I think the challenge sometimes in our community where everyone thinks you should be a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer, which some of us are, <laughs> um, is that it's these are still pretty non-traditional spaces, but I think we just have to think critically about what we're there to do and what are the ways we can explore that and do it because you want to be there, not because you have to prove yourself to anyone else. Thank you. Uh, as we go to the next question, I'll add my two cents. Uh, in case your mom wants facts, um, I quit my post-MBA job to do podcasting full-time. Last year, I made over six, or I made six figures speaking because of my podcast. I'll do it again this year, and I got to the White House. And so... Use me and other people. Oh, thank you. I, mean, I, I don't say that to brag, but there are people who need those validation points to make it sensible, right? Without podcasting, I don't go to the White House. And I got that invite specifically for the work. And so I, I think there are different ways to spin it. But, you know, in, in my case, I can do both the feel good and the heartwarming and the money side uh, because I got to feed these kids. But, you know, again, I, I would agree with Simi. Like, don't fall into the trap of, everything having to be a hustle, a financial benefit. Um, it's hard to see with the light, but if anybody has, we got three minutes and 56 seconds, right up front. So mine is somewhat comments, and maybe there's a question in there. First of all, I appreciate you guys doing this because I've been here for three days, and I only met one other South Asian Indian lady here, and I haven't seen anyone. So I'm glad to see that. You were right about the representation. 
And what came across in the keynote speech um, that Gabriel Soto did, and I was talking to him, is they had the Latinx report, they had the black report, but there was no Asian report. And my question is, why is there no Asian report? To your point, you know, probably more well, than forty percent of the e population. email Jared at podcastmovement.com and. I am going to have want to see us next year. Seriously, like they, the organizers are not picking on podcast movement. Organizers sometimes don't know what they're because we're, we're all blind, right? So, you know, if there's a feedback form, right? Like we have to, and when we say we got to get loud, we have to get loud by speaking on stages, but we have to get loud in spaces we're traditionally very silent in, like surveys, like feedback forms, you know. Um, and and I think we're all because we don't have a language problem anymore. We don't have a, a cultural gap. Like we have to use those tools instead of saying, ah, you know, like that's that's gonna time, and because they won't know, and if we if we don't voice our concerns or opinions, then that's what they use to plan next year's. Then we get ignored again and say, oh, you know what, we don't, you know, maybe they don't want to, and it's not that we don't want to, we don't get invited, and so, um, but no, I, I'm joking about Jared. He's been wonderful, and I think when I've spoken to him, he genuinely cares about having diverse voices on stages. But from an organizer's perspective, it might be that nobody's volunteering. And from our perspective, it's that we don't get invited. And there's this gap of misunderstanding when both uh, sides actually have the same desire to uplift uh, diverse voices and our voices as well. And that's, that's a very valid point, right? Because I think talking to them, they need, um, for example, for someone doing research, they need someone to fund. So who is going to know that there's this diverse market out there? And to a point, right. voicing that is very critical. And to the lady who asked the question about, you know, what do you tell your parents? Um, I did, actually did an interview with, it, it ended up being my mom's friend uh, that I interviewed who had done really well in her career. And, you know, getting validation from others and like when family members listen and say, oh, it's nice to hear, or you're talking about this topic we don't talk about, I think the validation really comes from their own friends and family as well. So it's, that's one way to, for them to feel like, oh, this is great. Awesome, and we got 90 seconds, and these mics will shut off. Um, do you want to do 30 oh. seconds, and then we'll close? I was just yeah. going to say that, yeah, um, I know speaking of Asian uh, voices, I'm going to be speaking tomorrow uh, for the, um, well, actually in, in the same room uh, at 1245 on navigating trauma. I want to say thank you to my friend. So the way that this panel happened, I submitted the panel idea with their names, and then I emailed them and said, hey, I put your name in for this thing. Can you be in Dallas on or about the last week of August without telling them not much? And they all said yes. And everybody, uh, Misasha flew in on the red eye from San Francisco and she's going back to the airport after this. And so, you know, to me, that it's, it's really humbling and um, just grateful that everybody is making uh, personal sacrifices to come here to invest in us um, and I really genuinely would love to see this room double next year. Um, we were joking earlier when we were, uh, uh, we did a recording downstairs or across the way. Um, I don't want to be on stage next year. I want to see you and I want to see other people. Um, and I hope that it is because we showed up today that you are inspired and energized and feeling a little bit more confident uh, to do that. And so uh, to Alexa and the rest of the team here in the room and to Jared and the rest of the podcast movement team, Thank you so much. We are Patrick, Randy, Simi, Mishasha, Jerry, and we'll see you next year. Thanks, everybody.